Throughout history, there have been many individuals cloaked in mystery, each with their own puzzling backstories and unanswered questions. To celebrate our 150th episode, we're going to take the next month to explore a new mysterious person each week. Today, we kick off our People of Intrigue month to see what we really know about the most famous playwright of all time, William Shakespeare. This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force, to Red Web, the show all about mysteries, the unsolved, the supernatural, sometimes a little bit of cryptids get in there. Today, in fact, this whole month, to celebrate our 150th episode, we're covering all those mysterious people from history that have questions unanswered about them, conspiracies surrounding them, all sorts of goodness. I'm your host, Trevor Collins. Joining me, perhaps hearing this mystery for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. Handful of things. First off, 150 episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. Task Force. Ain't shut us down yet. (laughs) 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 Afraid of straight up face. I'm doing for a curve. Um, Damn. Thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, For rocking with us, vibing with us. It's absolutely insane how we're 150 episodes in and half of it is mysteries. Other half, a lot of bull. There's just, <laughs> just a lot, a lot of, of shenanigans. Raving. It's just a lot of shenanigans yeah. between us, and uh, you guys roll with it, so we appreciate that. Two, we talking Shakespeare? Oh, yeah. Every time I type it out, I say Shakespeare, and I picture him. I picture Fredo's oh, face. Snap. Well, I mean, like, there's been a couple mysteries where, like, we've talked a little bit about, um, we've kind of ventured into, like, Shakespeare, yeah, 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 and how like oh, he might be tied into this or that. Um, I'm sure there's probably like a theory of those Illuminati and Shakespeare and all that, all that kind of stuff. Or like like Shakespeare mm. is just like a mystery um, in in terms of just the person himself. And the little bit that I know is that some people don't even think that Shakespeare is who everyone thinks he is. That's kind of the cornerstone of this particular mystery. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of people. We covered some mysterious people. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Zodiac. Mysterious groups, too. Mysterious groups. But this month, we're, we're going to dive into some, like, obviously, we're not going to go, well, hopefully it's obvious, we're not going to go with the angle that Shakespeare was out there gutting people. Uh, it's that more, was an angle? It, 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 no. <laughs> it, but okay, but like, a lot of mysterious people we've covered, like, are slashers, right? True yeah, crime yeah. end of things. And mm-hmm. so this is more exploring the conspiracies that surround individuals that otherwise are well-known but just have a lot of holes in their story that people want to fill with answers. Mm. But William Shakespeare, I mean, there's a lot of mystery to this man's life. There are a few documents archived surviving to this day that are from that time period. This includes diaries, letters, notes, anything of that nature, people writing about him, his own writings, etc. So see, that's kind of baffling because I feel like he's one of those people where you go... Just archive anything and right. everything about this person mm-hmm. because they will stand the test of time. You know what I mean? Right. Or maybe it's more like a Van Gogh situation where they're not really well known for their situation until, until after. way after. Ooh, yeah. okay. True. And that is that. part of, you know, I'm going to spill some of the beans. Okay. Not all of them. I'm going to save some for the hearty some, meal. Some bean leakage. <laughs> but, but some bean leak. <laughs> Yeah, that is part of his story. But I agree. I mean, it's it's hard to look back now uh, with hindsight being 2020 and going, whoa, why wasn't everyone Everything. documenting yeah. every move here? But That's sometimes true. you don't see Good history point. unfolding just like this show. They're going to make podcasts about this show. <laughs> and a hundred plus years from now, they're going to be like, who was 
Fredo Diaz talking about Shakespeare. <laughs> Well here's, well, here's the thing. Most likely, if there's a documentary or a podcast made about us, it's because something went horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. We disappeared. <laughs> we disappeared. Right. We went on some kind right. of ghost trip and never came back. Yeah. So let's start from the top. We know there's a lot of holes. We're going to try to fill the gaps as much as possible, thanks to our researcher and writer, Jillian, uh, who I want to also share the celebration of 150 episodes. She is not, however, in the room with us, but full credit where credit's due. So let's talk about Shakespeare as we know. So Shakespeare was likely born in April 1564 in Stratford-upon-Avon, England. This is assumed in April. The year is accurate. We just don't know the month. The month is presumed because records show that his baptism was on April 26th. So his birthday is generally celebrated to be April 23rd. Shakespeare was the third child born to John and Mary Shakespeare. His father was an affluent glove maker, tanner, and wool dealer who owned property in Stratford per the Royal Shakespeare Company. His mother was a homemaker who raised William and his five younger siblings. I did want to mention there were seven siblings in total. Two older sisters, however, passed away uh, very, very young, likely due to the plague of that time period. Oof. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going way back. So you're talking about times where you're old if you're in your 40s, you know? Mm. It was like, oh, you made it to your 40s? Like, you you don't doing got, good. You don't, yeah, you're doing right. way better. You don't got much time left. Also, a lot of, they had big families back then, too. It's very true. Yeah. Big families. Now, is it a misconception, Christian? Maybe you can look this up as I proceed. That the average age of death was actually lowered a lot because infant mortality was so high in that time period. Oh. So, like, living to 40 was kind of normal. It's just that there's a lot of other things that could take you out, like illness right. and stuff. I'm curious, though, between the two extremes, it's got to be somewhere in the middle, right? Like, it was hard to live many decades when you don't have antibiotics and regular hygiene right but also there was a lot of right just unfortunately very you didn't have death. a lot of vaccines mm -hmm. or antibiotics things like that so yeah you you know die in early age that's just my own curiosity i'm curious too though it is from a cursory search it does seem like infant mortality was the primary reason for that average life expectancy being so low gotcha Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. Not to like fully say you're wrong. It's just like that's just an interesting tidbit about history. Yeah, because you're talking about the average. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, a lot of child death, unfortunately, was going on during that time because mm -hmm. of all the lack of a lot of things. And some so, people did get up bring, there, bring the average down, start kicking it in their 70s. But but I would assume even then, though, they were not like, as likely. It was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, are, I'm sure. Like, you are. You're a sage old, at that point, which would be what, like a hundred? Oh man, for us. Yeah, probably. I would think so. That would be probably. Like the That's the age I start to look at, you know, someone with respect, and I start mm. go, "You've got the knowledge of a wizard. <laughs> you will lead me on a better path." Yeah. So, an interesting thing that I wasn't really aware of is that there are no records of Shakespeare's education, and we're going to really dive into this as we get further into the episode and why this is so shocking to me. But there's no records of his education. But since his father worked as a civic employee, it is believed that he may have at least gone to school, but not college. When Shakespeare was 18, he married 26-year-old Anne Hathaway, and they had three children together, though their only son passed away at the age of 11 from unknown causes. Funnily enough, there's actually a conspiracy theory that's been floating around for a few years now with modern-day Anne Hathaway and her husband, Adam Shulman, and take it with a huge grain of salt, but people are going, these are Anne Hathaway and Shakespeare reincarnated. Right, because oh. and it's all basically going off the idea that Shulman's appearance matches Shakespeare's, like like the drawings of Shakespeare, oh. in an uncanny level. 
And then I guess for Anne Hathaway herself, she was born near the 400th anniversary of the original couple's wedding. I don't know. It's interesting. It's. I think it's very, very interesting. I, I think it's definitely like a huge stretch. Definitely a huge stretch. It makes me kind of wonder like... He's got the same nose and same like dark eyes. Like they're dark green pupils dilated like they've seen something. Is that how, that how Shakespeare always looked? <laughs> <laughs> so after the birth of their twins in 1585, history starts to get a little fuzzy until around 1592, as there are no records documenting Shakespeare's life during these years. So basically, the second and third of his children are born twins, 1585, and then we end up in the, as they're called, the lost years. This timeline actually picks up in 1592 strictly because there was a review of Shakespeare's work as an actor and playwright that was published in London's Stationer's Register. This was a record book for those involved in publishing, writing, book selling, and things of that nature. Basically, there's a few handful of years here that we don't know what he was up to, but we assume that at some point in this time period that he made it to London because the review was taking place in London. This is kind of laying the groundwork, as you can imagine, for maybe some of the theories. In 1594, Shakespeare joined the Lord Chamberlain's Men, a group of actors in London. Some sources claim that he was actually a founding member of this group. Over the course of his life, he wrote 37 plays, 154 sonnets, and various poems. He also co-wrote several plays on top of that as well. From all this, he became pretty wealthy and purchased the most expensive house in Stratford known as The New Place. It is believed that he split his time between Stratford and London spending long swaths of time in both locations because it was about a four days horse ride between the two locations. That's how far back we are Mm -hmm. talking about horse riding. Yeah. Four days between otherwise pretty close towns or cities. That just, man, I'm, men were just built different. Mm -hmm. I could not ride a horse for four days. Granted, I'm sure they stopped and rested overnight. Sure. But like, Oh, no, man. You hang in the carriage? I do four days in, a, in, a, in an AC-controlled car, and I'm like, uh, four <laughs> days on a horse, bro. I'm yeah. chafing all over the place. I'm sweating. I hit four hours in a car, and I'm starting to go, ah. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, antsy. We're not built, we are not built the same. No, dude, I still remember planes from the 90s when you had to play a little laptop tic-tac-toe or... You know, if you were lucky, you had a little Game Boy with Tetris on it. Yeah, that's true. You know? Now you could just, on your phone, watch movies. Now you got everything. Yeah, you do. In 1616, he passed away, also on April 23rd, his 52nd birthday. So you can imagine now, didn't live all that long, but for the time period, pretty decent time. Yeah. It's a few years. And I wonder if, because he passed away on April 23rd, and that was near his baptism, if they've also then attributed, let's just say his birthday is also on the 23rd for some sort of ironic it. poetry or something. Yeah. The tragedy of it, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we talked about it a lot of times. People will just, and they need to stop adding spice to the damn pot. There's mm-hmm. just, there'll be like a flavorful pot full of mysteries butter and, and, salt. and facts with butter and salt, mm-hmm. a good combo. Mm-hmm. And they'll just throw in some spices. And, and, and what I'm trying to get at is that they'll start adding different flares and flavors to the story. Sure. And you're and like, like, this dish tastes good, but it's not what I ordered. Right. It it's ain't like, the truth. It's not the truth. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, again, that that's what lends this otherwise completely famous person into the realm of like theorizing, is it that person? Is it somebody else? Is it a group of people? Ooh, we'll get there. Yeah. Like a ghostwriter, maybe? Because maybe like back oh, then. Nick Cage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ghostwriter. Yeah. Nick Cage? Yeah, that was, it was 
movie was awesome. Awesome. You killed the 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 villains in like two seconds, but it was awesome. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's back then. I'm sure that like it, it like those were times where it was very difficult for women, right? Absolutely. Um, and so at that point, it might I could see there being like Shakespeare is actually just the 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 public name of like a woman who wrote because yeah, you know, he's like, oh, you can't write as a woman. Hundred percent. Like I mean. Yeah. I'll be real. That's not a, a, again, some more bean leakage. Not one of the theories that we're going to cover at length. Oh, but it is a theory. But it is kind of a broadly accepted theory that was Shakespeare a woman? Was Shakespeare a group of women or a group oh. of both men and women? We'll kindly lightly tap on that second oh, interesting. one later. Yeah, but it's definitely a thing. Um, there's class roles, gender roles. Everything is definitely part of this time period. Yeah. So it, it would stand to reason. In fact, politics and politicking is part of some of the theories. Hmm. So we'll get into all that. But there are, as I mentioned, no archive notes, diaries, or anything else that might inform us as to the personal details of Shakespeare's life. To spark further intrigue, the original manuscripts for his plays have also been lost to time, and there's no information on what may have happened to them. Could have been lost to time simply by accident. It could have been destroyed on purpose. We'll just never know. Man, if you had one of those, it like... Say, I don't know, you dug up a box in your backyard mm -hmm. and it was a bunch of Shakespeare's manuscripts. Do you own that or is that just straight like the government goes, no? Oh, first of all, yes. Second of all, property. no one knows right. because uh, I'm just going to procure it and have it. And then, <laughs> and then I'm going to go to, what is it called? It's, uh, it's, it's up only... in Chicago, the, the, uh, the bean. Well, yeah, I could go to the bean, um, but while after I've seen the bean and taken a selfie, I go to that that place where they um, appraise antiques, the roadshow. Well, <laughs> I could go to Vegas for the pawn shop if I want a really good deal. No, it's like something like the roadshow or something, antiques roadshow. Ah, and then I would. That's how I would come out to the world is to have this thing have like it. someone who would know better would go right goodness gracious how'd you find this well well it's a family heirloom that's yeah that's had nothing to do say. with digging for boxes in my yard <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of thing where like you probably want to get a lawyer and like a security box yeah i'd want to liquidate that asset instantly i'd oh, want yeah. first of all i'd want it in a museum or somewhere where people could right. see it and respect it or study it but like, on the other hand, I'm like, I like get paid though. But but I gotta get paid, you know. <laughs> I, like, I like. I was like, I would want it in a museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like two seconds ago, I was like, look, this is how I'd make money. On I this watched time. Indiana Jones. He grabs the thing. He goes, this belongs in a museum. And then and then, but he's got his hand under right. the table, going, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. So those are the facts that we've laid around Shakespeare. That's that's what we know traditionally. Shakespeare. But from here forward, I want to lay the groundworks. You know, some of the historical context that opened the door to Shakespearean conspiracies for so many people out there, or Shakespearecies, as I like to call them. <laughs> of course. It's, it's, I can't resist. It's too good of a com combination. And Shakespeare was known for making up words and then just sticking. So I'm going to, you know, take a page out of his book, right. change my identity, and then make up some words. So historians know very little about someone who is considered to be the greatest writer of all time, or one of. Though it is said that he wasn't so highly regarded until, you know, the late 18th century. That was like way after. That was way after. Uh, right. That's like the late 1700s. So almost 200 years pushing it after Jeez. his death. But ultimately, these are large gaps for someone so historically renowned. And again, leaves a lot of room for many people to speculate, theorize, and try to fill. 
In fact, due to Shakespeare's background and limited information on his life, there are some who believe that Shakespeare didn't actually write his plays. Kind of one of the cornerstones. Not only who was he, but did he in fact write these things? His authorship began to be questioned around the same time that scholars began to doubt other famous writings, including Homer's authorship and the Bible's historical accuracy. So basically, in the late 1700s, Shakespeare began to grow his reputation post-mortem, becoming known as a genius in literature. Then in the 1900s, historical criticism grew and scholars began to question various works, not just his, but various works that have all been studied and are kind of part of the zeitgeist in perpetuity, things that have been regarded as classics, sometimes historical fact using archaeological and recorded evidence. But the things that they were questioning were like they were looking at Homer's epics and saying, did these things actually happen? Of course, many of his epics like Homer's Odyssey have been embellished. I don't know if we're actually going to hear sirens calling on sailors into the sea where they then eat you apart. Right. Or Cyclops and other Medusa and all of these things. But it's long since been understood or believed that his epics were based on facts and then built on from there. And the same thing goes for the Bible. People began, scholars began asking, is the Bible based on a real person or is it embellished upon a true story or is it all fake or all real? All of these things. And so in the 1900s, this kind of thinking expanded out to Shakespeare. And this is kind of the origin for, well, hold on a second. What do we actually know about this person? Who is it? What did they do? Et cetera. Hmm. Now, the first thing that stands out to scholars is Shakespeare's education. He likely received a basic education, like I said. However, there's zero record of him going to college. And this strikes some as odd for a writer of his time. Many other writers were highly educated, but especially when you look at his texts, he featured French, Italian, and Latin in his text. And of course, he had witty wordplay. And now there's some analytics I want to dive into here, but various sources have various numbers. But it is said that he used around 30,000 unique words across his works, in total writing almost 900,000 words across his plays. I know like 300 words. I was going to say, to put it into perspective, (laughs) a modern native English speaker, an adult at least, would know somewhere between 15,000 and 30,000 words according to Babel. Oh, that's a cool fact. Yeah. And most people use like 150 different words. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> like I know this many words, but I use the. <laughs> the and and and. and, and. and. <laughs> but from this, I mean, it's not that Shakespeare put his entire dialect into these plays. And so many other estimates as far as Shakespeare's personal repertoire, the words that he has under his belt, range from anywhere to 60,000 to 100,000 unique words. So this feels odd to scholars who are like, well, wait a minute, this guy's not as educated as he should for knowing all these fancy words. But I guess, like, it's it's not like he's going up there and giving, I mean, like, you can still do it with a speech, but, like, you could write out a draft and then literally just start targeting words and then... Replacing with synonyms? Yeah. Well, the unique thing about Shakespeare, too, is that he, they, whoever they are... Mm -hmm had introduced upwards of, and again, the ranges vary, anywhere between 1,700 and 3,000 brand new words to the English lexicon. Words we still use today, by the way. Mm. And so it isn't as simple. I mean, you're right. In a sense, he could go, well, how do I fluff up this particular word? Yeah. Or does, does he ask for help from somebody else, like a co-author? That yeah. is... He's a fellow great mind. And I say this because this is 
you're going to hear this in the past, but mm -hmm. the meeting of the minds were do we did Jeopardy. And I too have made up said great words. Invented, you should say. Yes. Yeah. I've invented Introduced. such great words. And we will see if you guys can tell the difference. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. I kept peeking over his shoulder as he was getting he the did. thing going. He's like, stop looking at what's going on. He's like, all right, all right. All right. Let me blow your mind though. So we're talking about Shakespeare's language that he's introduced that we still use to this day. I'm going to give you just a few examples of words mm -hmm. that can trace their origin and introduction to Shakespeare's plays. Bump, frugal, faceless, majestic, road, premeditated, lonely, submerged, suspicious, control, bloody. These are all words controller. that we just, yeah, control, like the noun control. Like this is a control. Oh, yeah, I was just saying different words that made me think of the words you were saying. I tried to look up if nefarious was one of his, because that was a word we so used to So are these words that he made up? It, essentially, yeah. So majestic isn't a real word? No, it's a real word. I mean, it, it is, but like... He used it with such confidence that people went, got it. So wait, it wasn't like an actual word? It's a word that he made up that became a real word? Yeah, I mean, he, kind of like he uses Latin like suffixes and prefixes, so it kind of makes sense. It's... It's usually taking an existing word and like using it in a new way, like verbifying it or turning Ooh. it into a noun or like turning a word into an adjective. Yeah. And it goes all fancy. Like I'm gassing you up. Yeah. Like instead of like, so bloody, for example, mm -hmm. like, oh, well, that makes sense. The shirt's bloody. Well, I'm sure around that time people would be like, thou art have blood on thy sleeve. Mm. And he's like, yeah, thy sleeve be bloody. Oh, interesting. You know? And people just... Yeah, I and mean, they just, I, and they're like, I they guess just, I get it, because you read Shakespeare and you kind of go, well, it's a little over my head. Yeah, uh, every time. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that he was just kind of like taking words and putting in a spin on how he uses them. Yeah, I so like, so that's people why could that understand. Sense. Yeah, that's that's what it was. that's what it was. Now, the second item that scholars looked at was how Shakespeare's writing often included many biblical references and seemed to be written by somebody who was well traveled. So beyond obviously. The linguistics he's using and talking about French, Italian, and Latin languages and cultures, many of his plays were actually set in ancient Greece or Rome or just Italy in general and contained intimate knowledge of the culture and geography of those places. This doesn't mesh well with the historically accepted fact that Shakespeare didn't really travel abroad. So the question remains, how could somebody know so much about these other places without having gone there? He speaks as if he's been there. Yeah, I mean, just to try and think of a way, books or um, just speaking to the people who have lived and grown up in these areas. For sure. But yeah, I mean, it is it is strange to be like, okay, well, this person, like nowadays you could be self-taught, right? You just YouTube, Google anything. Right. You could learn. But back then, there was... Not nearly as many resources. Right. There's like libraries. Yeah. And and you do have scholars who yep. like you could go to and, and ask many questions. They'll have stories and mm -hmm. things to tell. But like, is that enough to garner such a passively intimate knowledge right. of these locations? It, it, I mean, you know, the person would have to have a great imagination. Yeah. And you're also talking about areas that like, unless you, during this time period, unless you step foot in it, like you'll never see that place. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right? I didn't even think about that, right? Because now we just Google stuff right. or we travel to it. What does Rome uh, look like? Boom. Got right. it. 
But like, if we didn't have all this stuff, you'd be like, what does Rome look like? I don't know. I've only like read that I got these pillars, these vast pillars that are shaped like this or yeah. whatnot. Like, ah, that's a way different. Like, I mean, there's people like, <laughs> wild. you go way back, there's people like Plato, I think, who would travel and then see different animals and would like try to draw them or try to describe them. And then people would draw from those descriptions. And so they, like a zebra would look like game of telephone. Yeah, a little bit. And yeah. so like, it would vaguely look like a zebra that you'd know today, but you can't tell if it's like the art style of the time or just the game of telephone where it looks a little alien-esque. But mm -hmm. I mean, so you would imagine that that would be happening through, well, I've been to Italy and let me tell you about the rolling hills. You're right. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, oh. But, you know, I don't want to gloss over the fact that we do have those lost years. Maybe the man swung That's... around, picked up some fettuccine and came back. I mean, yeah, you take two years of travel, you can get a lot done. True. So not only did he include cultural knowledge, geographical knowledge of places that he may or may not have been to in his plays, the plays also included detailed knowledge of laws and feature life in Elizabethan and Jacobian court none of which Shakespeare would have had any experience with. This is something that high-level politicians, I guess, earls and monarchs and other things like that, would definitely have more to do with that arena. And so otherwise, Shakespeare was like a common man. There was no reason for him to have been in the courts. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is that the way this starts off is Shakespeare didn't have a high level of education. Mm -hmm. And so instantly I was like, look, I've seen a beautiful mind. Okay, things can happen. Things can happen. You know? But as we keep going, it's becoming very difficult to, like, I don't know, kind of believe that Shakespeare was as great as he was. Like, he didn't have the education. Mm -hmm. He was, you were saying, historically known to not travel. Mm -hmm. And then now he has extensive knowledge of deep political, like, rules or, like, ways and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, how does this person just know a ton of people? You know what I mean? I mean, I, like, look, when you're famous, you know people and you can yeah. interview them and whatnot. So maybe that's that's how. But it's starting to pile on more and more stuff of like, how does this person have this much knowledge? I mean, see, like I said, we're laying the groundwork as to why there's a lot of holes. Yeah. And then combine that with a lot of these like incongruities, uh, things that you would normally expect out mm -hmm. of somebody like, ah, highly educated, therefore this. Right. Not educated, therefore that. Wait a minute. These two things aren't corroborating each other. I mean, that's that's why so many people theorize. But have you ever seen the movie Limitless? It's true. Okay. It's true. Remove the pill and put add, in an herb. <laughs> it, it, put in an herb. You know, like he sucks on some lilac or something. <laughs> Imagine though, Shakespeare could have been a person with a perfect memory. Mm. You know, somebody told him something once. I envy those Stuck people. with him. Well, I've also heard that it's kind of like a curse. Oh, I can Double see that actually. Story. Yeah. Where you see something and you're just like you're just remembering grave detail mm -hmm. and you just. The good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but I mean, like, maybe this was just a regular person who just had an impeccable memory. So every story they were ever told, they could embellish upon it. Actually, and that's just my own kind of gut instinct happening mm -hmm. here. I'm, I'm getting what I feel like is a gut instinct. Okay. You'd have to tell me. Okay, a little gut um, But we're going to get to something later on that I'll, I'll bring this back around to. But before we get there, again, to reiterate, none of Shakespeare's manuscripts were saved. The only reason we have any of his plays to this day is actually specifically thanks to actors and friends John Hemmings and Henry Cundall. They actually took his plays and published them in what is called the First Folio. This happened in 1623. Otherwise, like I said, he would have just disappeared from history. Jeez. Or I mean, they, or 
she or whoever this could have been. Like it could, again, the mystery is open. Yeah, as much as it didn't happen to Shakespeare, I'm sure it happened to a ton of people. There's probably yeah. a ton of great writing that's just gone. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine an alternate reality where a dozen other air quotes Shakespeare's and their plays and their writings would have made it to modern day. Yeah. Everything would have been different. I don't know. But again, now to come back to it, Another reason that people think Shakespeare might not be Shakespeare is because copyright didn't exist in the way that we know it today. So writers used to borrow from other writers all the time. In fact, the play called The Taming of the Shrew has plot lines borrowed from other works, though these simply could be influences. So now I bring back my gut instinct where I'm going, well, maybe he's just telling other people's stories, weaving them all together, and that's why he has details and knowledge of things that he wouldn't otherwise, you wouldn't have otherwise expected him. Ooh. Maybe it's because he's actually being influenced by other writings, other stories, other word of mouth, like or what have you. Plagiarism wasn't so much a big deal back then. Right. Mm. But that also seems to be a point in the column of maybe he wasn't him. Yeah, you know? no, definitely. So people that have theories and doubts as far as the identity of William Shakespeare are actually known as anti-Stratfordians. And they believe that the name William Shakespeare may have been used as a front for the actual real author. Just to clarify, the person William Shakespeare did in fact exist at this time, according to surviving documents. They just think that this name was used for someone else, such as, as you mentioned, an Elizabethan ghostwriter. Movies like Anonymous actually explore this interesting idea where the Earl of Oxford in this movie chose the actor William Shakespeare to be the man for getting the writings out. Basically, and then this Earl of Oxford is actually one of the theories we're going to talk about, uh, but this Earl was well-read, re- well wrote a lot of things, and wanted to get their experiences out via story, but because of their position in politics and everything, and their proximity to the queen, they didn't want their face on it, and so they found this actor who was willing to do it and willing to keep it anonymous, and then that actor got all the credit for it, essentially. Oh, man. I believe it. I believe that something like that could happen, especially yeah. during those times. If that sounds interesting, I mean, each of these theories has something just like that. That sounds so compelling. Oh, man. Could you imagine, though, that someone being praised for all of your work? That takes a mm-hmm. that takes a special kind of someone to just really go, you know what? No, I'm just glad my work is out there and is being praised. Yeah. Especially if you're like, I just wanted to get out there. I don't want to make a name for myself. Therefore, I don't really care Right. what happens to this. And I mean, again... Different times. I wouldn't fly nowadays. Sure. 100%. <laughs> but I mean these writings almost disappeared. Yeah. And so, ah, man, I don't know. I don't know. But some believe that the name is just a pseudonym. Despite the fact that there is a William Shakespeare at this time, some people think that it's just circumstance. That this was otherwise a pseudonym because in the surviving plays, his last name has various inconsistent spellings. Shakespeare, to break it into two words, shake and then spear, has multiple spellings. Some where both Shake and Spear have E's at the end of them. Some where Shakespeare has no E's at the end of either half. And then sometimes where there's hyphens in the middle of Shake and Spear. Hey, no one knows Shakespeare's name? Shakespeare. <laughs> yes. Sound it out. <laughs> During this time period, pseudonyms were often spelled with hyphens. And they were used as descriptive character names like Sir Luckless Woo All. Woo dash all. Someone who would woo everybody. And I'm thinking now, <laughs> like, so yeah. <laughs> what stands out to me is like, do they want to be known as a, as this being a pseudonym or not? Why, like, why does it have multiple spellings? Yeah, I don't know. 
Is it, is it because it wasn't? I mean, if it's a group of people, yeah, right. Then you and just no one did, caught the memo. Yeah, pretty much. And then if the name with a hyphen is supposed to have some sort of meaning to it, I start literally thinking of somebody shaking a spear. If you were shaking a spear at somebody, you're like, it almost seems like antagonistic. Yeah. Like, and then you think within the confines of the plays, what kind of messaging would somebody have where they're shaking a spear and they're, they're like saying what these plays have to say? I guess like... Authori is it like anti-authoritarianism or, or right. whatever? Like know? is there like hit a message to the to the Yeah. Name? I don't know. I just, um, I mean like if it the, the name is written differently multiple times, like you do that, like who doesn't know how to write their own name? You know what I mean? You, you do that because it's not your name. <laughs> you do it because it's not your name or for some reason maybe you want to stay anonymous or I don't know. It's just one of those questions that has no clear answer no. and it just fuels the fire yep. again. There are some famous anti-Stratfordians, including Mark Twain, Sigmund Freud, and Ralph Waldo Emerson, among many others who we'll talk about kind of in the theories. But again, these are famous writers that have all pretty openly written about their doubts on William Shakespeare being who we take for granted. There are more than 80 candidates out there, theoretically, for an alternate Shakespeare. But of course, we're only going to cover the most popular ones, the people with the most kind of meat on the bone. Because some of the theories are just, I think it's that person. Right. The end. Yep. But the people we're going to cover, there's actually some really compelling reasons why you might go, oh, man, that's making me feel some type of way. Like, jeez. Oh. Well, hello there, Task Force. It is that time again that I part the seas of the mystery and talk directly to your eardrums. Joining me, we've got Alfredo. Parting the seas like Poseidon. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Get that out the way. And course, Jillian. Hi. Hi, Jillian. Hello. You know, we got stuff coming. Yep. At store.roosterteeth.com. You can go ahead and get yourself kitted out from head to tippy toe and cushion on the butts if you're looking for a nice seat. Mm. That's one of the things coming too. We have the beanbag, the baby hands beanbag. It's a shell so we can ship it. You got to yeah. get your own like pellets. But it does give you the option to stuff it with Whatever you want to stuff. You right. can put anything in there. I've seen people put feathers. like their own stuffed animals <gasps> as a way to That's store great. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also like you have oh. to spend money on another. That's thing. true. That's true. And if you want, you can totally do the baby handception. We call it. It's a maneuver where you buy about fifty baby hands plushies and stuff them and into one it, baby hand. Fill it into the baby That's hands. Wild. Yeah. And then we also have the the summer squonk and summer baby hands pins. Oh, coming. I just. I just got those yesterday at home and I looked at them and I'm yeah. like, this is great. Yeah, so you Summer can put baby that, hands you know, adorable. Put that all over your, your like, uh, your little bean bag. While you also wear the Red Web Official Task Force hoodie and jogger set. It's called the stash the, hoodie. Oh, the stash hoodie. Because mm. there's lots of pockets and they made me, oh, I modeled those. Yeah. And they made me open every single one. How many pockets we got? There are so many. There's hidden ones. All over it. Well, yeah. You, you got smuggle stuff. Yeah, you got to hide your stuff. Yeah. Right. But you, also, you know, when you're jogging around, right, right. Task Force HQ, you can't be doing it in a suit. Right. You can't be doing it in um, the field work uniform and outfits that we have. You got to do it in something that you can jog around in. Right. So it's something comfy. You got to shift fully into your full jogger outfit, right. store any of your things in your various pockets, and mm -hmm. jog down the hall to the next nearest office. Yeah. Or put, whole department. I put goldfish in the pockets. 
That's the animal or the snack? Snack. Okay. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I went straight to animal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at Task Force HQ, anything? Anything is, is possible. Yeah, anything Unfortunately, is possible. anything is possible. Yeah. But that is all coming August 4th. So go ahead and mark your calendars. Support the show with some of this luscious Task Force Red Web paraphernalia. And thank you very much for doing that. Really appreciate you. Otherwise, we got a fantastic sponsor we want to tell you about. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by BetterHelp. Finding a balance in life can be so tough, and so can keeping healthy boundaries for yourselves. When you spend all your time giving, it can leave you feeling stretched thin and burned out, but therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life, so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind, which is super important. I really appreciate how easy BetterHelp makes it for new people exploring therapy. All you have to do is go to their website and fill out a survey, and they will match you with the right person which, again, can be so daunting to somebody who is new to exploring therapy. And therapy is very important, and so that is essential. Trying to grease the wheels between you and finding help. If you're thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp is a great option that's easy and accessible. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. And they'll work with your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, the one that I was talking about, and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can always switch therapists at any time for no additional charge which is also very important to find the right person. So let BetterHelp be your map on this journey. Visit betterhelp.com slash redweb today to get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash redweb. And with that said, let's get right back into the mystery. Let's talk about the first theory, that of Shakespeare being a group of people, not just one individual. So some anti-Stratfordians such as American writer Delia Bacon, believe a group of esteemed people of the time are the ones behind Shakespeare's plays. This group consisted usually of people like Francis Bacon, Sir Walter Raleigh, and Edward de Vere, among others. This was actually the first theory on this topic to exist in print. American writer Joseph C. Hart claimed that Shakespeare's plays contained evidence that suggests multiple different people wrote them. For instance, the variety of knowledge and references on various subjects and literature contained in Shakespeare's plays seem too much for one person to know without experience. Therefore, it must be a group of people speaking to a group of experiences, all with their own different expertise on locations and subject matter and relationships. Maybe why you have various different spellings of Shakespeare, even. I mean, it's unfortunate because we don't have like the manuscript, so we're not able to kind of like look back and analyze. I, I do feel like this is a theory that could be real simply because you just have a gathering of great minds right mm -hmm. they, they get together and maybe someone just kind of like drafts while everyone's kind of speaking and and then from there boom these arts are created but i think like if we had the manuscripts like nowadays we'd be able to kind of like dissect and be like okay like this is kind of like i think you'd be able to tell it's written by multiple people because of the fact that like like people don't speak exactly the same right mm -hmm. like the way someone writes is going to be different than the way someone else writes right and so that's why i feel like i don't know i'm just kind of like just like spitballing right now but i think like it's unfortunate that we're not able to like dissect because i feel like we yeah. could kind of debunk that and be like well this is this seems like it all lines up from a single person yeah i mean if i really wanted to throw on my tinfoil hat strap it on tight i start thinking about all right if it's a group of people or an individual, I, it doesn't really matter at this point because they're all kind of compelling. If they wanted to be anonymous, maybe they picked somebody named William Shakespeare who 
was either kind of in town and then disappeared. And so when they're off in Stratford or whatever, you're living in London using their name to make all these plays or whatever. And then to kind of bury the evidence of either multiple handwritings or the origin of these manuscripts, you then, instead of publishing it yourself, you go through people such as, again, actors and friends of William Shakespeare, John Hemmings and Henry Cundall. And you basically then put a firewall between your original writings and what they gets published you create a new start yeah and so it's almost like going through a proxy you'll never be able to trace it back beyond that because then the originals could get just destroyed on purpose True. dang ah oh man this just has my my brain in a twist but as you can imagine there's no overt evidence that a group mm -hmm. was behind this you just have the beautiful it fits but yeah. i don't know yeah yeah Another leading candidate, as we mentioned kind of in that group earlier, is Edward de Vere, 17th Earl of Oxford. He was a nobleman, a patron of the arts, a playwright himself, though no copies of his plays exist. He had a company of actors that he called the Oxford's Men until a few years after his death, and he actually even sponsored some plays. He lived in Italy, interesting note, at some points in his life, and he also traveled there often. He could also write in French. So now you open up the two different languages plus a little bit of Latin there. Oxford had a personal Bible and some of his plays were actually allegories for Bible stories. If you look at his personal Bible, I believe that's still kicking it somewhere as an antique, but you can see that over a thousand words are underlined in his Bible. And humanities professor Roger A. Strittmatter believes that these are found as allegories in Shakespeare's plays. Basically saying, if you look at this Earl's Bible, and you look at the things that he underlined and you hold those up against the library of Shakespeare's works, you can see some parallels. Maybe this is some sort of cryptic corroboration or maybe this is his notes of like, oh, I like this word or I like this story. I'm going to build a play around this. It's interesting. But it's Ooh, definitely flimsy. That's. I feel like it could be kind of meaty. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on like what the words are and like how they kind yeah. of I think correlate. depending on like the percentages of, of words that line up, like those are just interesting odds. Mm -hmm. the, I'm curious, like, is there any, I mean, I doubt there is, but like, do we have anything on like they knew each other or have met or anything like that whatsoever? Not that I have here yeah, in my I, notes. I doubt we'd have that. There, There is some like notes here on like the timing of it all. And it is the wrinkle actually. Devere died in 1604. And Shakespeare's plays continued to come out in following years. And so that's the biggest wrinkle. One can imagine that perhaps he wrote so much in his life that then some mm -hmm. came out posthumously. Others would believe that, well, since he passed away and they kept coming, I don't know if it was him. Maybe he was part of the group. But coming back to kind of his experience and why he is a good candidate, Edward de Vere would have known the courts very well and definitely had the experience of a well-traveled person. So he's fitting a lot of what you would expect out of somebody to write these plays, have the prerequisite knowledge and all that sort of stuff. Some even believe that there are codes in the plays that reference Devere in particular. For example, the Earl's father died only six days after writing his will. This was a theme, I believe, in one of the plays. His mother remarried within 15 months of his father passing away. Actually, yeah, that was an experience that you can see in Hamlet. So it's like some life experience one for one that shows up in, in one of these plays. Another example is when Devere had an affair with Anne Vavasor, their clans fought in the streets, which led to three different deaths, which is very reminiscent of Romeo and Juliet. The Capulets and the Montagues? Montagues? Yes. Montagues. Which you could see in... 
Okay, what was the modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet where they're all wearing like Hawaiian shirts with Leo DiCaprio? Was it Shakespeare in Love? Maybe. Is that it? No, it's just Romeo and Juliet, I think. Was it, was it just that? I think it's Romeo plus Juliet or something. Because I can, I'm picturing that vivid as yeah. day. They had guns. Those were their swords. They had their guns and they like rolled up in their cars and they had like these bright shirts on. Yeah. yeah. Romeo plus Juliet. Romeo yeah. plus Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so like that is, that's very interesting. That two very specific light, but also how dramatic were we in the 16th <laughs> century yeah. that like, you know, someone has an affair and then we roll up. Like full families in the streets, <laughs> sword fighting each other. A duel, you say? <laughs> I'll slap your whole family with my leather glove, though. Though I want a duel. Man, I, I guess mean, when you're living pretty, in a world like that, you you better come strange. up with some clever, right. colorful language to describe it all. And maybe that's why he came up with words. Yeah. What a, I, what a time. What a yeah. What a time. Do man. somebody wrong, and five people could die in the street. <laughs> Weird. But yeah, I mean, so there's some really interesting similarities. It seems like they, they've got the experience necessary for, you know, cynically looking at just the education of it all. But the biggest wrinkle is his death doesn't really seem to line up. Yeah, work is still come out. Work still come out. I'd be very curious if, you know, if you subscribe to the idea that it's a group and that Edward Devere was part of that group, if maybe the tone shifted in the Shakespearean works after his death in 1604. That you could kind of point to his absence of the group, you know? Now, the first individual alternate candidate to be named in writing was Francis Bacon. This theory was written down by William Henry Smith and Delia Bacon, not related. But he is also one of the two leading candidates, Edward de Vere being the other, I believe. So Bacon was a philosopher, the Lord Chancellor, and attorney of England. We've mentioned Bacon in a few episodes at this point. He's kind of one of the famous favorite answers to many mysteries, but... Specifically in the Money Pit of Oak Island, we talked about him, as well as in the Voynich Manuscript episode, which was basically a mysterious botanical transcript or just book where people recognize fantastic plants that they'd never seen before, and there's writing that still has yet to be cracked. It's just some sort of weird, looks like a made-up language, and he was theorized to be one of, if not the author of, but yeah. Huh. There's just so many, this is an infinite amount of mysteries on this planet. And they all kind of start to connect. Yeah. Making a big old web. So, interestingly, Francis Bacon was very interested in cryptography, poetry, history, and even wrote some theatrical scenes and would act them out in the Grey's Inn. Delia Bacon thought an educated man employed by the Queen would not really want to be associated with the theater publicly. Theater was an average person's hobby, something that the common folk would go to and, and enjoy in, not the regal amongst us we praise the hell out of um actors these days Mm -hmm. kind of how it's flipped (laughs) but the fact that he did seem to act some of his own scenes out may counter her point at least to me you know if he's writing a few scenes or what have you and then sometimes acting them out at gray's inn i don't know i think she's making an educated assumption based on the time period based on just how other people of the same class might act but that doesn't mean that Mr. Bacon can't be out there kicking it. Why not? You know. Right. Either way, he had an intimate knowledge of law, the court, and many other cultures as a well-traveled person would. Shakespeare and Bacon even had similar diction, such as using the word politiques instead of politicians. Bacon lived until 1621, so he is more likely than De Vere. And I believe that's actually very close to when Shakespeare passed. What, what year was that again? 
1616? 1616, yeah. Yeah. So, lines up a wee bit better. There are a few who, like Elizabeth Wells Gallup, believe that there are ciphers and codes within the plays that actually point to Bacon being the author. So this is like not the first time that codes in cryptography have come up. I mean, we talked about that with Devere, but Gallup claimed that depending on the fonts used within the plays could maybe be some hidden or concealed messages. That'd be so cool. It'd be very cool. Be so cool. I want to figure out how to crack that. So related side tangent, there's a 27 letter long word that many Baconators, people that believe that Francis Bacon is Shakespeare, okay. that Baconators like to theorize around. I'm going to try my best. It's a, it's a wild one. Honorific abilitude in a tatatubus. Wait, I got it close. Honorific abilitude in a tatibus. And that's the second and only time I'm going to try that word. <laughs> Basically, those who believe that Bacon, I almost said Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Those who believe that Bacon wrote these plays with a steganographic cipher argue that the word honorificus is an anagram for different phrases. So one of the anagrams that people came up with using this very long English word was in Latin, hi ludi f baconis nati tuiti orbi, meaning these plays, f Bacon's offspring, are preserved for the world. A long, winding road to say that this very complex, long 27-letter word that Shakespeare used is actually the centerpiece to a cipher, and that somehow through deciphering things, people have landed on basically hidden messages of Francis Bacon going, oh, it's me. Like, here in these works are my words forever kept kind of thing. I don't know. Does that make any sense? It, it makes perfect sense. I'm cutting I'm, over I'm, a few lines and I'm just no, no, very no. thrown by the 27 letter word. No, it's a, it's like, it makes, it, it makes sense. It's just like, what a rigmarole. Like, right. it's just like, I'm going to either hire someone or make up a name um, and, and then have them display my work. But I'm going to sneak a little something in case someone cracks right. it to say, hey, it's me. Yeah. Like, dang. Okay. Honorific abilitude in a tatibus. That's what it is. I mean, it stands out. Stands out. It's also the longest English word that goes from consonant to vowel to consonant to vowel back and forth for the entirety of the word. Why do words like that exist? I mean, like, come on. I don't know. This is a Shakespearean thing, man. These words are going to come pouring out. But as far as the bacon theory goes, baconators, I'm sorry to say, (laughs) we've got a main wrinkle here that I want to talk about. There exist today many writings and notes from Francis Bacon, unlike the writings from Shakespeare. So it seems likely that at least some of his theoretical Shakespearean works would have survived to this day unless, wrinkle on the wrinkle, they were purposely destroyed so that way any evidence of Bacon being Shakespeare would be erased. Which is why, though? Well, I mean, again, you could go with Delia's theory that someone of high class wouldn't want to be associated with the theatrics. True. Maybe somebody associated with the queen wouldn't want their politicking on display via the plays. You know, if they expressed a disposition, an opinion, or something else that was unbecoming to someone of royalty, it could put them in hot water. That's kind of the idea behind, well, maybe that's why De Vere, the Earl, wanted somebody between him and the works. Maybe that's why Francis Bacon would have wanted somebody between him and the works. See, that's something that I never thought would be kind of like a staple Mm -hmm. is that during these times 
it wasn't well regarded to be uh, like an actor. And so I would, I mean, especially nowadays that we just talked about, it, it's flipped. And so like, I would think like, why wouldn't you want to, you know, unless, unless maybe like you're a female and those times were different, you right. be taken seriously, et cetera. Sure. Why wouldn't you want to take credit? But I mean, yeah, I mean, like back then statuses meant a lot, status like, meant a in, lot. in a different way. I mean, we have our statuses, modern day status. Sure. But back then it was titles and status, all that kind of status stuff. Status today is wildly different though. I'm, I'm, yeah. I agree. Like. We're talking, I mean, I don't know when the last beheading was, if I'm being totally honest with you. I think the last thousand years of European history are kind of a blur to me as an American student. But we're talking about a time period where, yeah, you could be imprisoned for life. You could maybe be beheaded for expressing an opinion that is unbecoming to your, the crown or to your country or to whoever. And so when you have, again, looking at these individuals so far, people of high status you kind of want to go yeah. it doesn't matter how beautiful and brilliant i think my writing is this stuff could get me killed could get me incarcerated could ruin my reputation for forever and so i i tend to think it's less of well that's what commoners do is theater i think it's more of what is he saying or what are they saying in these plays that yeah, could does it challenge you know I mean? the status quo right uh, yeah and that's just something like star-crossed never... lovers that doesn't make sense you're right. supposed to be Married to the right. person your family decides because exactly. you know exactly, and like that channel, you know, Romeo and Juliet mm -hmm. challenges that. Mm -hmm. that they're fighting in the streets. Yeah, I just never thought that that would be something. Yeah, that like would kind of be to me at least a, a possible main reason as to why Shakespeare could be not who we think they are. Yeah, for sure. Huh. Did you Google the last beheading? It I heard you in, typing. It was in 1977. Oh my God. That's Fun so fact. recent. <laughs> that's so recent. What? 1977 was Where? the last execution via guillotine. It was in France. Of course it'd be in France. Yeah. I mean, it's a French word, guillotine. Mm -hmm. Right? Huh. Okay. Way more recent than I thought. Moving on, though, another interesting candidate for an alternate writer, and debatably the most popular, actually, is playwright Christopher Marlowe. So Marlowe was one of Shakespeare's contemporaries, born in the very same year, and actually the most popular playwright of the Elizabethan era. Is it Elizabethan or Elizabethan? I think it's Bethan, Bethan. but I, I also think you can say both. I got I a think. friend named Beth. I think. You got a friend named Beth? No. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it's it's Beth. She was a pharmacist. So very popular in the Elizabethan era. He pioneered blank verse, which were plays written without rhyming which is interesting. Marlowe attended Cambridge University and was involved in politics. The theory goes that he faked his own death on May 30th, 1593, when a fight broke out at a tavern in London. Some believe that Marlowe was actually a spy for the Queen's Privy Council since he disappeared often during his time at Cambridge and the council covered for him. They said he was involved with, quote, in matters touching the benefit of his country. It is said that he may have been killed because of his atheist writings or was going to be killed, and therefore he faked his own death to avoid that from happening and covering up the whole thing. The only witnesses of his murder were actually involved in the council and were friends of Marlowe. So hmm. who knows if they were trustworthy truth tellers of history or covering up with him. But the timing works out really interestingly because, as you recall, Shakespeare's lost years ended in 1592, and so kind of mid-year 1593 is a good opportunity to hop to a, uh, a new identity. 
maybe the real Shakespeare in, in 58, at the beginning of the Lost Years, just went off to live a quiet life. Right. And then this guy goes, he had a cool name. I went to high school with that guy. Yeah. Boom. And he moved out of town. So now seven years later, boom, here I am. William Shakespeare. That, what a, what a, that's, if that's what it was, I mean, like, if that were to be it, that's a wild ride. Yeah. On top of all of that, you know, we talked about cryptic messages with the last two gents, but some believe that there are hidden meanings about Marlowe and Shakespeare's works as well. For example, there are many cases of murders, banishments, and loss of identity in his plays, which would play into this theoretical story of Marlowe, faking their own death, being a spy, etc. In The Merry Wives of Windsor, one of the plays, there's actually a character that sings songs written by Marlowe, which could be maybe a more on-the-nose reference to the air quote true author. Okay, there there might be some weight on that one. Like, the first half, maybe you go, I don't know, this just seems like compelling stuff to write about, so why wouldn't Shakespeare cover that at some point in time? Mm. I feel like most writers would touch on that, those types of subjects. But second half where it's like talking i mean were they they're, they're friends right or no they just went to school at the same time oh that was me making up uh <laughs> an anecdote for marlo no they as far yeah, as yeah, i'm aware they, they they were born the same year but didn't know each other yeah i mean like if if, if his plays has what songs that yeah so the merry wives of windsor is a play from shakespeare and it mm-hmm. does include actual songs written by marlo so that would be the best connection. So yeah. in this idea, Shakespeare would have known of Marlowe or at least heard of his songs. Yeah. But people are going, I don't think he knew of Marlowe. I think he was Marlowe. Yeah. Oh, man, it's little breadcrumbs everywhere. Little breadcrumbs. But nothing leaves to like a full plate. Yeah. And the question too is like, why try to change your identity, fake your death only to reference yourself? That's it's true. Risky. That's, uh, yeah. Like why? I don't know. Yeah. Now there's another kind of coincidence here that people are leaning on but Shakespeare's first play Venus and Adonis was without an author it was registered as a play with no author until 13 days after Marlowe's death and again if you subscribe to the idea that he faked his death what a beautiful time to start up a new identity as a writer grabbing onto this beautiful play that didn't really have a registered writer to it hmm 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 excellent oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at Christian. I just looked at Christian until he too. Hmm. Um, it's like, well, what do you need from Christian? <laughs> now with all this, of course, there's no evidence that Marlowe covered up his own death. And him being a spy is also just a theory. Again, based on some interesting turns of phrase by the council that covered for him in his absence at Cambridge. But regardless, still just a theory. And further, Marlowe was not known to write comedies which immediately puts a damper to this theory. Many of Shakespeare's plays were considered comedies. So yes, we have another highly educated individual who was also a playwright, who also knew a little bit of the high life, but it's also very thin, thin ice we're treading on well, here. Maybe we want a different name because, um, you know, the just general audience just wasn't into, I don't know, it's like shifting genres, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so maybe it's too drastic of a genre shift. And so it's like, oh, I have a different name, persona. I really want to white. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a stuff, good point. Feels like a stretch. Well, yeah. But also, if like, in, again, subscribing to the idea that he's like, I'm a different person now. Old me's dead. I don't want anyone come knocking and looking 
I'm gonna start writing comedies. Old me, dead me would never do that. Also, I didn't know that Shakespeare wrote comedies. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like they're all like tragedies, but when you right. look them up, they're like, ah, the comedy of Romeo and Juliet. You know, or maybe not that one, but that is that is a tragedy. Oh, wait, wait, uh, wait. I would be very curious. Here, I need to rewatch Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I mean, there's comedy along the way, but yeah, a lot of them were referred to as comedies, and and I'm like, maybe it was just me as a kid. I wonder what King Lear was. I had to read that one, and man, all those fancy languages just kept it way over my head. Like, I could have read the best joke in the world, but I'm like, dang, this is serious. Right, this King is serious Lear stuff. is indeed a tragedy. Oh, okay. Oh. So in school, I'm learning comedies? they made us read all the tragedies. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that's why, yeah, I don't, where are these comedies like, at? I would have... Most of his work was comedy. What? Midsummer Night's Dream? It's a comedy. What is it? Midsummer Night's Dream? It's a funny play. It's a good play. I gotta get in on that one. I think Twelfth Night's also a comedy. I didn't, oh, never heard of that one. Twelfth right, just... Night is, uh, She's the Man. The Amanda Bynes movie? <gasps> It's based Amanda on Bynes. Wait, night. She could I'm be Shakespeare. So much this episode. <laughs> Shakespeare is just intertwined into uh, so many things. Oh yeah. yeah. And She's even the man we don't know. Yeah. I guess Shakespeare could be a woman, could be a group. The at least 37 plays that he's written definitely have almost one for one movie parallels, right? At this point. Like some modern takes on all of them. Yeah, at this point. Now this last fact here, I do want to give it but I'm not sure I fully understand it. But just something to, to, to think about with regards to Christopher Marlowe. In 2016, the new Oxford Shakespeare edition of Henry IV was published listing both Shakespeare and Marlowe as co-authors. And I believe the reason they did this was because they were using human as well as computer analysis of both Marlowe's writing and Shakespeare's writing to see if there's any similarities. Henry V, as a play has features of both their unique flavor, as it were. And so from that, it was republished, listing both of them as co-authors. Was there anything more to that other right. than analysis? Because that's a weird reason to give credit or yeah. remove credit or whatever. I also don't know if that fully confirms or debunks this theory, but it is interesting. It basically goes to show that they either have worked together, these yep. two, at least we know Shakespeare's referenced Marlowe, or... Are their writings so similar in style that maybe they are the same person? I guess that's kind of what it opens the door to, is just a little bit more intrigue. Oh, man. I think it's a really interesting way to go about it. I mean, I know we're all a little, like, taking a step back from AI right now and really kind of trying to understand its role in our society and everything. Right, yeah. But the cold, hard, just analytics part of it, I like the idea, like, an AI is good at just analyzing language. And so that's a really interesting experiment. Say, hey, look at the works of Shakespeare. Hey, look at the works of Marlowe. Are there any similarities here? Yeah. And then the computer spits out and humans spit out. Well, Henry IV feels like both of them. Yeah, that's basically what they're saying. They just like analyze the collective works of both authors and said, yeah, this feels similar enough that it's likely, you know, they're not saying anything definitively, but yeah. they're saying it's very likely that, yeah, Marlowe may have collaborated with Shakespeare on this. So I guess that's the biggest thing going for Christopher Marlowe, is that I mean, you did ask the question, do they know each other? It seems like the more we look at it, the more it seems like, yeah, likely in well, some I mean, that, way. I mean, that makes sense why you would use Marlowe's song then, right? Yeah. But, because hmm. I was thinking, I was like, I guess you use Marlowe's song because they kind of just borrowed a lot from each other. Um, But man, I don't know. Like, there's just not enough, 
like there's not enough info that made it to this like day and time period yeah and i really feel like well i mean obviously we'll never know it's a mystery but like i feel like the manuscripts would give us a better deep dive like you can analyze it like if you could analyze and an, yeah handwriting yeah. and and impossible like I don't know DNA, maybe like the type of ink that was used, etc. He was out, like, he was a known spitter too. Yeah, he would drool often when he wrote. I mean, there might be some DNA there. Yeah, exactly. And you just compare like I don't know different manuscripts or something like that. Man, I wish. I know. God, that tangible lost to history. When I pass and I enter the pearly gates, I'm gonna be like, yeah, 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 about aliens and all the unknown mysteries. Right. I want to see the manuscripts. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to see everything that's been lost to time that would answer all these otherwise mundane mysteries. I don't need the greater mysteries. I just need like Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Yeah. Answer. I mean, uh, right. Okay. I'm going to go play air hockey or whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure they got all the good stuff. <laughs> I'm going to go play air hockey with DMX. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, what would be like a category that you'd want to like if you were, you know, I don't know, but just for the sake of the easing the conversation, pearly gates or whatever. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, like what would you want to know? Like what category would you dive into? I think for me, it'd be aliens. I have space for sure, hundred percent. More yeah. seriously, I'd take space. Like, is there other life? How complex is it? How numerous yeah. is it? I want to know about it. Yeah, like like what what events during my lifetime did I see and go ah. I don't know, that, fake probably and, <laughs> and then realize they're like no that was real that yeah. was an alien yeah like that'd be cool aliens, maybe uh, so aliens that or like did George Washington really have wooden teeth <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the big stuff that's what you, you, know what that's you go to yeah <laughs> Christian Christian what are you thinking A or B one of those two right <laughs> yeah. it's one of those two aliens big ones or wooden teeth which one <laughs> I think I'd want to say go like very Broad but specific to me, I'd want to know if I ever witnessed anything along the lines of aliens or Ooh. ghosts. Like I saw this when yeah. I was a kid. What was that? Like what was that unexplained thing? Oh, that's pretty I cool. Love what that. was yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'd want to know. Whether it be aliens, yeah, whether it be yeah. ghosts, whether it be like right. a cover up, I'd be like, tell me just what events I saw. in your life that tell like, me what yeah, I yeah, saw, what I heard. Bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'd be like, all right, there's three instances. These two was just your imagination, but this one. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was a bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one was coming after you. Mundane. Yeah. All right. So the last theory that we're going to discuss, it aims to answer the mystery with the simplest idea that Shakespeare was Shakespeare and that Shakespeare was simply a person who desired to be secretive about his life or otherwise didn't think he'd be famous. And so he did the thing of writing and then lived his life until he didn't. Hmm. Perhaps he was aware of all the gossip of the time period, didn't want to get wrapped up in it, didn't want to be involved, didn't want to draw heat, and therefore wanted to step kind of away from the limelight. Basically saying he made popular plays in order to make money. That was basically it. And he kept a low profile in order to focus on his work and make his living and go on with his life. Low profile, didn't you say bought one of the biggest places in the area that he was in? Most expensive. Ah, uh, yeah, most expensive. That's a, that's that's a like, very good point. I feel like that's high profile right, right there. Right, right, right. I just want to live my quiet life here in my <laughs> manor. Right, right. <laughs> just, just up the street. <laughs> with a giant uh, W and S in the front gate. <laughs> yes. 
and a, and a bust of my head right, right out front. Just towering over the, the peasant city next to me. <laughs> yes. Come along, peons. Witness my house of anonymity. Yeah. That's a good point. So... I guess building a t- God, what a what a wrinkle on that! I love it <laughs> immediately too. I know, right? Within seconds. But, but the idea of him having yeah, a yeah. humble and quiet life in his mansion. Um, <laughs> there is an instance where he was famously quoted as saying, "The play's the thing." This line appears in Hamlet Act Two, Scene Two. Everyone, open up your your plays. Go to the page, and this is at the end of Hamlet's soliloquy. The line, as it appears in full, is this quote. The play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Though in a modern sense, many interpret this as Shakespeare saying that the play is what's important. To me, personally, I'd agree, but also add that Shakespeare perhaps realized that his plays could reach the heights of monarchs, could affect change in this world, could his words could carry much more importance than him as an individual, otherwise strapped to all the labels that society has put on him, his words can escape the gravitational pull of his labels, whereas he is otherwise just a person. Damn. That's my fancy way of agreeing with that idea. Again, nowadays I feel like it's the reverse. I do. It's the person. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Their words. I mean, look, people, they say some things and then people forget. They go, I, I hate you. Down with you. And then it's just like, but what uh, does Ja Rule have to say yeah, about this? Yeah, what does Ja got to say about this? You know what I'm saying? Where is Ja? Um... <laughs> But yeah, nowadays it's like it's more about the people. It's like the face, and you go, oh, "I believe that person." Yeah, that person is whatever they say. Yeah, it is really interesting that over these four hundred and almost fifty years now, since his well, no, 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 about four hundred and a few years past his passing, it is very interesting just how much not only society has changed, but roles have changed, the perspective on. Yeah, just so much has changed. It's really, really interesting. And that's part of what I like about history is just seeing how things change like that. But one of the other things that was interesting that stood out and made people think a little bit more is like Shakespeare's funeral monument includes a likeness very similar to the drawing of him in the first folio. It actually has a very witty epitaph about jostling with his bones, basically. Basically, uh, I don't know if you want to look up his epitaph, but it basically says something like, a curse be on thee who mess with my bones. You know, and it, it, the rhyme is something about under these stones, something moving his bones. Um, so I guess he's just having fun with like, yeah, you know, in his but his grave is actually empty. And so unless it's been robbed at some point, this is either a, a robbed grave of William Shakespeare, B, a fake grave of William Shakespeare. But either way, if you believe that it is his grave, that's the only thing really attaching his his dead self to the writings because he didn't leave a will to bequeath the royalties or the ownership or the attributions or whatever of these plays to anybody. And maybe that's just not how things worked in the 1600s. But either way, like he didn't really speak about his, his plays and his writings in, in his will. Right. Hmm. So all all we have left is his little epitaph. We got a whole month of mysterious figures. Whole month. Some are very well known and some might be more surprises to you. It's gonna be a very interesting month. Oh yeah, because you're this this. I mean, just you're talking just people in general, right? And so the the people do so many. I mean, we have 150 episodes of people just doing different things. Oh yeah, 
and all then, so, sorts of mysteries. And so now we're talking about like the most mysterious of these people. Yeah, that's I feel like it's the cream of the crop. I and mean, we started with Shakespeare, so <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, we started pretty high there. If we hadn't already done Amelia Earhart. This would be the month that we would absolutely do that. Oh case. yeah, for like sure. how she disappeared. That was, a, that was an interesting episode. Very interesting. Yeah. So we have the, the flight the, patterns. Then we have some like um, people catching radio waves. Yeah, the radio wave yeah. stuff. Yeah. Task Force, go check out that Dang. episode if you haven't. But the last couple things I want to say with regards to Shakespeare just being Shakespeare and there not being any sort of fantastic elements above it. And I kind of bit my tongue this whole time because it lurched out to me when we kept talking about Shakespeare's education or potential lack thereof. Right. There's not a lot of documentation to prove this, that, or the other. One of the arguments against these frivolous, fantastic theories is that his education and background are not enough to suggest that he wasn't able to write plays. Like, many historians and scholars find the assertion that someone like Shakespeare not being able to write these plays is simply classist. There are many other famous writers without wealthy backgrounds and without a college degree or any formal education at all that have done just fine. In fact, Mark Twain would be one of those lesser educated, more humble backgrounds, and he too is one of those Shakespeare, somebody else kind of figures. Yeah, which would be a little wild, right? Because you think there'd be a parallel between mm -hmm. Twain and Shakespeare, right? Where you go, look, the, the main thing is people are saying you don't have the education for it. I didn't grow up with that education either. Yeah. But like, eh, I don't really think it was Shakespeare that did it. In fact, and if you don't mind looking this up, because it's kind of slipping my brain, Christian, but Mark Twain wrote a short novel. I don't know if it was like a poem or just something short. He wrote something, though, published something about this very topic, about William Shakespeare and kind of how it didn't seem to corroborate. And I'm, I'm just very curious on what his angle was, and I just don't remember off the top of my head. But other famous authors, again, with more humble backgrounds, include Jane Austen, Ray Bradbury, Maya Angelou, and of course, like I said, Mark Twain. But many countless other authors have written books or plays that will stand the test of time. And again, they have humble beginnings. So who's to say Shakespeare isn't just somebody who was brilliantly minded and was able to write really well again go back to if shakespeare was just like look i'll i'll pay you a, a shiny bronze nickel tell me your stories mm -hmm. you're from this uh you're from this country yeah i mean yeah. on top of that too you have historians going well i mean sure he wrote about italian culture or geography or whatever but it's not like it's dead accurate there are some inconsistencies mm -hmm. so just because he's referencing the geography kind of going back to the zebra analogy yeah. and the game of telephone thing like yeah there are some inconsistencies so to me i think that that kind of like while i find these theories fantastic and i think that there's so much within them that are very intriguing and believable i also find it perfectly reasonable and in fact poetic that it is just a normal guy or just a normal person otherwise who just wrote brilliantly and it didn't really pop off for a few decades or yeah. hundreds of years even. And uh, and now he's immortalized. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I yeah. think Shakespeare was Shakespeare. And to answer your question, Mark Twain wrote a short book called Is Shakespeare Dead? That That's right. That's what it was. Francis Bacon, Shakespeare, conspiracy theories of it all. Gotcha. I'm also just very curious, like, what is Mark Twain's angle on, like, does it come from a background angle or an education angle or from a holes in mystery angle? Yeah, just taking a quick look at the wiki, because you're exactly right. There's a wiki kind of detailing the book and the, the arguments. But it's um, about how little we know about Shakespeare's life and that a bulk of Shakespeare's biographies are based on conjecture and assumption. And right. then the fact that Shakespeare had no legal position or government position 
and he no experience with the courts basically yeah and then uh this is interesting we didn't mention this it says the just quote small towns lionize and celebrate their famous authors for generations That's what it but was. this had not happened in shakespeare's yeah case. and then he references like how that happened with his own works mm-hmm. like he's like listen like where wherever i've written things like they've kind of held it up and been like this is where he wrote it like and they celebrate it and that didn't really happen for shakespeare that's interesting as a final note as we kind of close out the idea of william shakespeare being william shakespeare there's not a single contemporary writer author just playwright or anybody of that time period that suggested that shakespeare might not actually be the author of his plays nobody from that time period has written down and theorized to say such, right? Those are modern conjectures based on modern understandings and modern understandings have big holes in in their understanding there. And then as a closing thought, you have historian James Shapiro who suggests that instead of trying to focus on the historical documents that miss out on the facts of William Shakespeare, that perhaps we try harder to discover his life through the texts. We're certainly trying to discover other people's life through through his his texts. So maybe... If we want to understand whether the author is himself or somebody else, the best way to understand whoever the author is is to just simply understand the plays yeah. and understand the experience that might have led to those plays being written. Dang. It'll be a fun month. Absolutely. We have a lot of other people. Do you want to tease at least one other name, Christian? Throw one out Please. there. Please. Ooh. Like for me to pick? Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Go ahead and pick one. Just throw one out there to the task force. Bait them in. I'm personally most excited about. Rasputin. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good tease. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like we said, every week for this month, and we're starting a little bit early. Every week for this month, though, we're going to have a new mysterious person. We're going to dive into their backgrounds, what we know about them, very similar to like we did with Shakespeare here, and then the theories that surround that person that attempt to figure out the mysticism around them, who they might have been, or how many people they might have been. We'll get to all of those and more each week this month here on Red Web. And Task Force, let us know what did you think between all the different theories around Shakespeare? Do you think he was him? Do you think it was Francis Bacon? Do you think it was Earl of Oxford? Or do you think it was a group of people? Or maybe just a mysterious person down the street? Or a plagiarist that claimed all these writings? Let us know. You can hit us up on social media at Red Web Pod. We'd love to hear from you all. You can also email us redweb at roosterteeth.com we get all those fantastic emails suggestions of mysteries and everything in between love to hear that feedback from you task force fredo i'll see you right here next week the mystery of alfredo diaz who is he when is he where is he is he just a sack of beans made sentient i could be we'll find out or we won't (laughs) so he's the one who's been leaking beans all over the place i'm just kidding i'm not beans (laughs) 